from Dr. Peter Pronovost. You're listening to Micro Moments with Peter. Today, we're joined by Dr. Patrick Reynolds and Steve Schreiber to discuss the work they are involved in here at UH, specifically around intensive case management. Steve Schreiber is involved in the development of complex case management and the expansion of integrated behavioral health services at UH. Prior to joining UH, Steve worked for 17 years in community behavioral health in direct services and administration. Steve has been working to integrate behavioral health and primary care services for the past eight years. Steve is a registered nurse and received his bachelor's degree in nursing through Ohio University. Dr. Patrick Reynolds currently serves as the chief medical officer of population health here at UH, as well as the director of adult clinical psychiatry for the Department of Psychiatry. In both roles, his focus is on improving efficiency of access and to behavioral health services at the regional level, as well as developing value-based models of healthcare delivery across diverse patient populations. He attended medical school at University of Missouri-Columbia, completing general psychiatry residency at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, and the Public Psychiatry Fellowship at Columbia University. He also completed his executive MBA at Case Western Reserve University Weatherhead School of Management. Mouthful there. Uh, thank you both for being here with us today, and uh, I'll turn it over to Peter. Kelsey, thank you, and uh, Steve and Pat, thank you so much for joining. And let me set the context for the audience because you have both chosen to focus on a problem that is devilishly difficult. And frankly, besides you, has had very little evidence that we could impact it. The situation is that there's patients, you know, five or so percent of our population that have really complex lives. They suffer in a lot of different ways from medical diseases, from substance use, from poverty, and the interaction of those things. And they're incredibly expensive to care for. And virtually every insurer, it's this you know, three to 4% of patients are 50 or 60% of their costs. And they've been so hard to impact that the insurers have largely written them off and called them unimpactable, like as if it's the patient's fault rather than reflecting on perhaps it's the models you're using and engaging them. And I know you have been both doing some incredibly innovative and transformative work with breathtaking results of rethinking what are the care models of this that are evolving away from transactional and reactive to relational and proactive, but in much deeper ways than we've seen others. And so, you know, Pat and Steve, maybe you can tell us a little about your framework, the interventions that you're doing, and we can get into some of the results that you're having. Peter, thanks for having us. I'll go ahead and do a, a high-level overview and then let Steve pick up with maybe some of the details and share some of the experiences we've had. Um, so, uh, uh, very briefly, Steve and I both started in community mental health. That's kind of where we hung out for a while. And the work we did with, with some of the people with some of the, the, the toughest circumstances in life, they, uh, had a lot of, uh, serious mental illnesses, things like schizophrenia. They had serious decades long drug problems. Um, and they were also, uh, some of the most marginalized, uh, uh patients, uh, uh, individuals in society. They were homeless. They had housing insecurity. They had almost no family connections were often people who had spent most of their childhood in foster care, whole range of problems, right? Think of the, 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 the toughest situations you can be in. And we did that work to help that group of people. And we learned after decades of doing that work that it was incredibly tough. And we needed to do it and that the key to getting success 
was building trust. The key to getting people's lives on track and, and starting to make a difference for them was helping them believe that you care. Um, and often when you did that work, often as you built those relationships, you learned over the time, over time, not just weeks, but over months and even years, that individuals who are in those circumstances, often the facets and the nuance of what was going on was very different than what you thought. And often the things you thought you needed to do to solve their problems were completely off and they needed totally different ways of having those problems solved. But perhaps most importantly, over time, what you learned is that if you just showed up and had curiosity about who they were and stayed with them despite all of the bad things going on in their lives and sometimes all of the bad ways they were treating you, um, that they would often flip, that often over time, they would learn to trust you. And in learning to trust you, they would build a relationship. And it was that relationship that was the foundation of what got great outcomes. So we did this work for a while. And um, what we discovered uh, in the last, say, 10 years or so is we think this might not just be helping people with their behavioral health problems, but also with their uh, general physical health problems. And we saw data to suggest that people who we were working with to help with problems like housing uh, or problems like schizophrenia also happened to be doing better with problems like diabetes and problems like heart failure. Um, and so we got the idea and wondered what it would be like to apply that model to people with some of the toughest physical health issues. Um, and just to dig in a little, we have been over the last decade or two in healthcare in general, been looking at those patients, the ones you called unimpactable, and recognizing that their life circumstances were such that it was very hard to uh, deliver care as we've always delivered it and get them to uh, to, to do better. And uh, you know, and we've been trying to solve that problem by applying those transactional solutions. You have a housing problem, here's some housing solutions. You have a transportation problem, here's some transportation solutions. And it didn't work. In fact, there was a big New England Journal uh, article from the Camden Coalition to show they didn't make an impact at all. So those of us doing the work we had done for a while, that was obvious because they weren't centered on the relationship, radically centered on developing trust and, and getting close with people. They were centered on trying to solve pre-packaged problems that we thought we had pre-packaged solutions for. So we decided to create a model that was deeply invested in building relationships first. And we designed that model be, knowing it would take us at least a year to develop those relationships and start to see that result. Um, but to use one worker, a case manager in this case, to spend uh, time over months to a year to get to know someone. And then we wanted to track how they were doing in terms of their overall cost and, and, and their physical health but also how they were doing in terms of their quality of life. Things like, how was their hope level? How were they feeling in terms of belonging? How were they feeling in terms of their ability and their belief that they could change their circumstances? And so we designed that program. And uh, I'll pass it over to Steve and let him talk a little bit about kind of where we, how we got that up and running and where we've been with that. Thanks for letting me be here with everybody today. It's great to be here. I, I, Pat, I love what you were talking about in relation to building the relationship and kind of transactional versus relational ways of just being with people. Um, and, you know, we're still solving for a lot of the um, transactional issues that our patients have, because that's part of what we do in case management. Um, but when we spend time with the patient to build a relationship, to help build their hope or their resolve or their self-esteem, we really get to know a patient in a different way than when we're trying to solve a particular problem for a patient. And that relationship that we form with the patient 
starts to rebuild their sense of self-efficacy in the world to some degree, that they can do things to impact their lives and change their lives and that they have a partner who will walk alongside with them to do that. So we see them start to interact uh, with the healthcare system in different ways as well. And, you know, we have patients that we have come up with new ways of doing things for within the health system that work better for the patients. We have patients who have for, are forming better relationships with their healthcare providers or the health system in general. And when you talk about trust too, a lot of the patients that we serve don't really have a lot of trust in the healthcare system anymore because the way it's set up just hasn't worked for them in the past. So we have to really think about the way the healthcare system is set up to work for these folks and what solutions they need that we can bring to the table to make things easier for them. You know, they have a lot of other barriers in their lives. Um, you, you know, Steve, a little bit unpacking that because you know, I think you're right. The many marginalized patients don't trust the system and frankly shouldn't trust the system because we've let them down over and over uh, again. And, uh, you know, and I'd love hearing yours and past description because what it really just exemplifies is that, you know, healthcare is love, like that you're going to tackle this with love. And in the past, Steve, you had some great examples of the transformative power of trust or love when, you know, you're meeting someone for the first time and they don't trust you either. You're just like, you know, another stranger from the establishment. So maybe share with me one of the, your stories or share with the audience about that transformative power. We have a patient um, that we've been serving for quite a while since really the beginning of the program. Um, he's got multiple diagnoses and comorbidities going on and suffered through a lot of trauma in his uh, teenage years and really wasn't doing what he needed to do to basically take care of himself and to help himself survive a, a chronic disease. <laughs> he didn't think the way that he acquired the disease was fair because he acquired it through physical abuse. So he didn't really want to, you know, every time he had to take a medication or deal with that uh, particular issue, it was a reminder of this traumatic event that happened to him. And he didn't, he didn't want to deal with it. So we've been working with him for a little over a year. He had been in and out of the hospital multiple times. Um, we've gotten to a place where we've been able to develop a very honest relationship with the patient and a very trusting relationship with the patient and say to him, <clears throat> you know, from a place of of a good relationship and a place of love, look, this is going to be the outcome of your life if you don't start to have some uh, self-efficacy and it's some, some ownership of it yourself. And you're right, it's not fair. And sometimes, you know, things, you're born into situations or life events happen or things like that, that, um, you know, that aren't fair and that you have to deal with. Uh, but he is starting to be adherent with his treatment plan and his medication plan and is really making great progress in terms of his ability to kind of accept the reality of his life um, and what he has to do to survive. And I think the most important thing is just him saying, I want to live. You know, I have this person in my life who cares about me now and this team of people that are rooting for me. And with their help, I want to I want to survive and see what life has in store for me. You know, a quick note on this, and I think this is really important. The traditional approach to a patient like this who has a disease that is going to kill them and they're not doing it is we would educate them. Like, uh, do you not know that you are 
someone who is you're going to die or that you're going to have a terrible health outcome. And we'd write in our notes and we'd feel very good. We checked off the box. We educated them. We told them what needed to happen and what are we going to do, right? That's entirely different from understanding and having someone believe that you have a true understanding of where they're at and having a conversation to say, we care about you and we want you to do well. And we, you know, it, you know, we don't want that tragic outcome. And when you're in that position, it's a totally different experience. The thing wasn't that he didn't know. And yet that's how the healthcare system approached it. The thing was that he didn't believe anyone cared. Wow. Stephen, Pat, you know, we, as you know, we talk about love and defining it as this energy that uplifts and connects. And as you were telling your story, Steve, I mean, I, I felt it. I felt this sense of the power of non-judgmental, unconditional love and what that does to elevate the energy in the other person. And I mean, this is a radically transformative model that, you know, is I mean, very different from the Canaan coalition that I see you would check a box. So tell me about the results. I mean, have, it, it feels so different, but has, are the early signals bearing out the impact? So we've now actually had about 65 patients run through this. Um, and what we've discovered is that we are saving on a per patient per month basis. We have saved about $700 per patient per month. That, that calculates to about $8,000 a year that we are saving for people spending about $30,000 a year on average. So we have cut the costs in, you know, down by about 30%, if I got my numbers right, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, more than that, we are seeing uh, more substantially huge increases in plan care. Um, one of the biggest costs that went up was people taking their medications. We are seeing lots of people take their medications. We have seen unplanned care plummet. Uh, and importantly, maybe the most fun stuff is we actually measured those quality of lives, quality, quality of life scores. And we saw belonging went up by 60%. Hope went up by like 80%. Uh, autonomy, the belief that uh, someone could do something to change their circumstances went up by like 90%. All these measures of quality of life went up and it was directly correlated with their rating of the quality of the relationship with their case manager. Those wow. things are correlated, which is just to say we have, and those results are better than anything anybody else has gotten and they've persisted for more than a year. Um, and that's the thing that is breathtaking. Steve, I don't know if you have any comments on some of the- yeah, yeah, I do. Thanks, Pat. I just wanted to add too that. You mentioned that planned care had gone up. I think- um, for somebody dealing with multiple chronic diseases who maybe, you know, is graduated high school, is uneducated, as some of us would consider, maybe didn't even finish school and has multiple other um, so social barriers, economic barriers in their lives, just having a partner to participate in a medical appointment with them, right, to go to the primary care doctor with them listen to what the primary care doctor says, serve as an interpreter for that person. You know, that not only helps build a relationship with our patients, but it's such a benefit to some of our patients who don't understand really a lot of what's going on with their um, primary medical concerns, who don't understand how the medical system works, how it's put together, what they need to do next. Um, and the, our, our patients are, you know, express such gratitude that they have someone there to walk through those uh, experiences with them with like a primary care doctor or just going to regular an endocrinology appointment, just regular medical appointments that a lot of us kind of, you know, take for granted that we can do and understand and not have difficulty with. Um, so I love that piece of being able to help people engage in their healthcare in a different way. Yeah, Steve, it's palpable that you do and that you can, I mean, it's, I'm sure this is so meaningful for you and Pat. 
I mean, this is breathtaking because you're, you're demonstrating this, as we say, love is the most powerful force in the universe. And yet it's so simple and, and free in many senses, you know, to, to, to give away. And the results are breathtaking. And I come back, though, to pu push us all to say 65,000, I mean, 65 patients is great. But Pat, what do we have maybe across all of our ACO, 30,000? So tell me about what's the future of this? How do we think of models to scale this to keep the love? Because this isn't a technology solution, I don't think. And, no. and yet find affordable ways to scale it. Well, you know, and it's not just affordability. So we calculated that 50,000 patients in our ACO, that's one-tenth of our ACO, have risk scores that would qualify people for this program and would probably yield a similar result. The number of caseworkers we'd need to do that work is 1,700. So uh, even if we could afford to hire all those people, they don't exist, not the licensed social workers and the nurses. Our strong belief, and we're just starting to dig into this, is that we need to recruit and bring in people who are a little bit closer to the lives that we're trying to help, right? Peers, community health workers, that those people are out there. And yes, they cost a little less money maybe because they don't have to have some of the same licensure and training, but also they're probably better fits in some ways. And there's certainly people that are raring to do this kind of work. It's inspiring work. It is hard work. It is hard when people don't trust you and reject you over and over to begin with. But when you break through, oh, the, the stories people have and the smiles on the faces of the case managers when they break through and they create that bond and someone gets it and they're in for someone that had rejected everybody else and had been rejected by everybody else. Those are incredibly great jobs, People, things people want to do. They're uplifting. So we need to find a way to bring in a larger set of people to do this work um, and create a, you know, a, a model in which we have social workers and nurses involved, but we also have peers and community health workers involved, and we're all spreading the love. Yeah, Patrick and Steve, thank you so much. I mean, this is nothing short of breathtaking. I mean, you literally transform people's lives, probably indeed save their lives. So I look forward to having you back when you see how you're having 100 or 200 or 500 or 5,000 patients in these great models and uh, keep up the amazing work. Uh, I'm Peter Pronovost, and we're working to leverage the power of love within and between people to radically transform health and healthcare. Thank you and have a great day.